You can open your Bible to Colossians. Colossians 3, verse 5 to 15. And when we come to our series on marriage and family, I'm going to talk about unity and disunity, or unity and division. Colossians 3, verse 5 to 15, unity and division. And that doesn't only go for marriage, it goes for family as well. Because many families are divided. Let's ask the Lord's help again. Heavenly Father, we pray again to you and bow before you as children before a father coming with our requests, asking that you will please lead us and guide us and teach us, instruct us, Lord, Encourage us, admonish us, rebuke us if necessary, and give us grace when we turn to your most holy word now. And ask that you would help us to understand, give us a mind to understand your truth. And a heart to obey. In Jesus' name, Amen. A colleague of mine, many years ago, visited the United States and he went to John MacArthur's church in Los Angeles. And he says that while he was there, there was a church discipline case and the elders of the church put up a picture on the screen for everyone to see, warning them against a certain family, these brothers and sisters who were fighting and gossiping and causing division in the church. And they warned the people against this particular family, saying, be wary of them, be careful of them, and avoid them. Now that kind of division in families, that started with the fall of man. The moment Adam and Eve sinned, this division came into the world, where families are there's disunity and there's fighting. So even Adam and Eve, they hid themselves and they covered themselves with fig leaves, covering their, their nakedness from one another. Come on, this is husband and wife. But they're covering themselves. It's like Eve is saying, why are you looking at me that way? You, you just want to abuse me. You know, that kind of thing. Cain and Abel. In Genesis 4, Cain murdered his brother Abel. Or Ishmael and Isaac. We read of them later on in Genesis and we see that Ishmael bullied his little brother Isaac or Jacob and Esau, brothers, and there was division between them. And Jacob tricked Esau and Esau wanted to murder Jacob and Jacob fled from Esau and for 20 years they don't talk to one another or see one another. Or Jacob and Laban, Jacob tricking Laban and Laban tricking Jacob at his an uncle and his nephew, and just the division between them, or Rachel and Leah, the two sisters, the jealousy, the rivalry, the fighting, or Joseph being sold by his brothers, they jealous of him and sell him as a slave to Midianite slave traders, they sell him into Egypt. And that's only the book of Genesis, we haven't even gotten to, to Exodus yet. And it's still that way. I was at a funeral once where a woman told me that, and this is at the mother's funeral, her mother's funeral, and she says, my brother and I don't, haven't spoken to one another for a long time. 
I think maybe for years even, they don't speak to one another. And then her brother was standing there, and she was crying, and she told me this. And eventually her brother stood quite closer nearby, and she was standing there. And then she said, hello, brother. And she named his name. And she said, I am so-and-so. And then she named her name. And she said, pleased to meet you. I'm your sister. And it was very uncomfortable, uncomfortable situation. Or a pastor that I know, this pastor and his wife, they got marriage problems. They don't get a well long, a well, they don't get along well. And they even went for counseling. But as far as I had seen, he's very cold toward his wife and treats her coldly. And so she treats him in the same way. Now, in Christ, there can be reconciliation. It doesn't have to be that way. There can be reconciliation. I know of a man and a woman who got divorced, and after they were divorced, both of them got saved. They became Christians. And after a divorce of five years, they got remarried, and they're still married today. And it's been almost 10 years now. Uh, or another husband and wife, they kept on fighting and fighting, and they went for counseling, and it didn't help. And it was so bad. Um, and today, the husband loves his wife so much and he shows it. He does things. He goes out of his way to show his wife that he loves her. does practical things to show his, life and, uh, his love for his wife and treats her kindly. So how can you be like that? How can you be like that so that there's unity in your marriage or unity in your family? Well, there are two ways of doing that. The first thing is, Get rid of things that cause division. And that's in verse 5 to 11 of Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 5 to 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. I remember a husband and wife coming for counseling a number of years ago. And they had serious uh, problems because of something that happened in their marriage. It wasn't as bad as physical adultery, but it was worse than pornography. And both of them were committed to, there was remorse, there was repentance, there was confession of sin, and there was forgiveness. And both of them were committed to working at their marriage and trying to sort things out. And in the end, God didn't only restore their marriage. He made it better than it had ever been before. And we should be like that. We should be like this husband and wife. Really work at it to put sin to death in our lives. Uh, be radical against sin. Verse 5. Put to death what is earthly in you. Be radical against sin. Cut off your hand. Pluck out your eye, Jesus said. In other words, take radical steps to eradicate, to remove, to erase sin from your life. Ask the Holy Spirit's help. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Romans 8 verse 30. 
And so you do this because that is part of who you were. That is part of the old nature. That is part of the earthly nature. You are no longer part of this earthly nature. You are a citizen of heaven. Verse 5 says, put to death what is earthly in you. Why? Because of verse 1 to 4. You are focused on Christ. Your life is with Christ, hidden with Christ. And that is where your citizenship lies in heaven. So what is the sin you should put to death? Well, obviously we should put all sin to death. But Paul starts here with sexual sin. In verse 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So in other words, sexual sin of every kind. The sin you commit with your eyes when you lust. The sin you commit in your thoughts. The sin you commit with your desires. The sin you commit with your deeds. Every form and every flavor and every kind of sexual immorality put it to death. Now, all, of, all kinds of sexual immorality starts with evil desire, with passion, with impurity. It starts with sinful desires. And because this is so, this is where we should fight the battle. You must, you must beat sin down. You must overcome and conquer sin at the level of the desires. So pray for an overwhelming desire for God. And you seek God in His Word. You seek God in the Scriptures. Because if you have this desire for God, it'll quench this burning lust for sin. If you drink of the water of life, you will never again get thirsty. And if you can get that, then trust will be restored in your relationships. And that will build the unity in your relationships. Because now your wife sees I can trust my husband. Or the husband sees I can trust my wife. They don't have a lust and a passion for sin, for sexual sin. They have a passion and a drive and a desire, a burning desire for God. Now if you want to promote unity, another sin you must put to death, it says at the end of verse 5, is covetousness. Uh, greed. Covetousness. Because what covetousness does, it breaks unity. Because you are coveting, you are greedy, you are dissatisfied, you are discontent, you are jealous, you're not happy with what you have, you're not satisfied with your own spouse, or your own children, or your own house, or your own money, or your own possessions. You're always looking out for something better, or someone better. And in essence, that is idolatry. It says so in verse 5. It's idolatry because you are placing your desires in the place of God. And it starts overwhelming you and it starts controlling you. Anything, anything that you, you, you develop an obsession with something. And what happens in the end is you start neglecting your family. And that will break the unity. So if a woman, all her obs she's obsessed with her dogs. And everything is just her dogs, her dogs, her dogs, and she doesn't spend time with her husband. That's going to break the unity. She's got an idol. Or the husband, he's obsessed with sport. He's always on the rugby field, always on the cricket field, always on the golf course, always with the boys. And he's not spending time with his wife. That breaks unity because he's got an idol. And so in that case, you need to turn to the Lord. You need to repent. You need to start worshipping not your idol, but the Lord. You, not, you need to start worshipping the Lord on your own, and with your family, and with the church. 
And when you, once your relationship with the Lord is put in its place, in its right and proper order and proper place, then you can start loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And on the other hand, if your relationship with the Lord is not right, but you continue in your sin, then God's wrath, God's anger, God's judgment, God's punishment will come upon you. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So your only hope is to run to Christ, to flee to Christ, where Christ took the punishment for our sins on the cross. Christ bore the wrath. Christ bore the anger, the anger of God against our sin. And so God will credit that to you if you trust in Jesus and you will not receive the punishment. And if you've, if you've already fled to Christ and trusted in Him, then you should, should live as someone who is saved. Don't, don't carry your past with you. Don't live in the past. Sexual sin, for example, it's part of your past. It's not part of who you are now. So don't live in sexual sin. Put it behind you. Verse 8, but now you must put, put them all away. Verse 7, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. That's your past. Put it away. Get rid of it. And that doesn't only go for the sin in verse 5. It goes for sinful emotions and sinful words. that They break unity. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So get rid of anger in verse 8 it says. Anger, the Greek word there, speaks of a deep-seated wrath, a deep-seated anger that it's like it's brewing in you. It goes on for months and years, a settled anger. That will definitely break up relationships. And then also turn your back against not only anger, verse 8, but wrath. The Greek word there is, it speaks of a, an explosion of anger. You lose your cool, you lose your temper, you explode. And then also malice. Uh, the Greek word, uh, it implies a wickedness. And you're like a, a pressure cooker and it just blows off steam. And in your anger and your malice and your blowing off steam, verse 8 says you slander people, you blaspheme people, you slander their name, you slander their reputation, you gossip about them, and you even shout at them and curse them and swear at them. Obscene talk, end of verse 8. That shouldn't come from a Christian's mouth. Because all of those things, it just creates an atmosphere and, and unity can never flourish in an atmosphere like that. So confess your sins. If you're guilty of that, confess your sin. And ask the Lord to help you to overcome this anger and this swearing and this cursing and this malice and this shouting and all of that. There was a man in our church. He's in heaven now. Uh, but he said that he used to have a terrible temper, such a short temper. He would just explode and get so angry. And then God helped him and changed him. And I remember a couple of months before he died, he, he told me one day that a car skipped the, the stop street. And that car went so fast, he said if that car had hit him, he would have been dead. But he said, amazing. God just gave him this calm. He was totally calm. Totally calm. Didn't lose his temper. God just gave him the grace to remain quiet. So God can help you to overcome your anger. Then another sin that we should put behind us, a sin that breaks up relationships, is lies. It breaks unity. So we need to put lies behind us. Stop lying. Verse 9, don't lie to one another. Why? 
seeing you've put off the old self with its practices. That is, that is part of your old man. You, you died to the old self. That's not part of who you are anymore. And if you, if you don't stop lying, it's going to break unity. Like you see in the story of Jacob and Laban in Genesis 27 to 31. Lying and deceit and cheating, and it just breaks up relationships. Jacob lies to his dad and lies to his brother and he has to flee. And Laban lies to Jacob and Jacob lies to Jacob and the, or to Laban and there's trickery and deceit and eventually that breaks up another relationship. Just think for instance of a dad. Breaks his word. Tell he never pitches, he never shows up for the children's sport events or for their prize giving and he promised to come and he doesn't. That breaks relationships. Think of a woman and she exaggerates about her husband's sin and she lies. He's beating me, but he's not beating her. He sinned against her because he shouted at her, but he didn't beat her. He didn't threaten her. And she lies. It breaks up relationships. When you think about a man, he, he's a hypocrite. And, and that's a form of lying because... In front of people, you're this angel, but at home, behind closed doors, you're a, you're a devil. It's lying, and it breaks up relationships. It breaks the unity, and it shows, really, that you're a child of Satan. John 8, verse 44 says, Satan is the father of lies. And Jesus says, you're children of your father, the devil. He's a liar. So if you're a liar, you're a child of Satan. If you break your promises, you don't keep promises, you exaggerate. You're a hypocrite. So leave your lies. Repent of your lies. And start speaking the truth. Says Ephesians 4.25 You live like someone you have died to the old self. And you, you have shown this in baptism. Because you went under the water. It's like the old man is buried. He's dead. Don't relive it. Verse 9 You've put off the old self. Chapter 2 verse 12 You've been buried with Christ in baptism. You are dead, the old man. You are a new person now. And then you start getting to know the Lord through His Word. And you are changed into the image of your Creator. And you become more and more like Jesus, verse 10, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. You get to know God and you grow more like Christ. And then if Jesus becomes everything to you, and if Jesus becomes everything to your family, and if Jesus fills your life, then automatically you're going to be one with those people, with your family, with your husband, with your wife, with your children, with your parents, with brothers and sisters, with family, with in-laws. And so not even external things can divide you. Verse 11. There is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Christ is all and in all. So if you're one with Christ, and all of you are one with Christ, and Christ lives in you, then you don't mind about externals. You don't mind that your son-in-law is Afrikaans speaking. You don't mind that your daughter is married to a German. You don't mind that your brother-in-law is poor, or your brother's child is adopted and not a biological son or daughter. You don't mind that your son, the only job he can find is by digging ditches, digging trenches. That's fine. You don't look down on him. 
Because if your family knows Christ and they love Christ, then external differences, outward differences, like skin color, like nationality, like social class, that doesn't matter. In Christ you are one. End of verse 11. Christ is all and in all. Now, if your family doesn't know God, yes, there's, there's a certain, to a certain extent, there's division. Jesus said so. Father against daughter-in-law and mother against daughter-in-law and, and brother against sister and so on. Uh, parents against children. Yes, they will push you out. You're a Christian. They're not. But you can still have a natural love. You can be kind to them, even though your family aren't, your family members aren't Christians. Be kind to them. Share the gospel with them. Pray with them. Pray for them. But if they know the Lord, that's a bonus. Because that's the very first step uh, to unity. Your first step to create and maintain unity in a family is not to go for family counseling. It's to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ. Okay, number two. So the, that's the first way to have a family where there's unity, is get rid of things that break unity, that cause division. Number two, do things that promote unity. Verse 12 to 15. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. At a funeral I attended recently, one of our church members Tony Bessie, her daughter said at the funeral, she told a story about how her mother told her one day, listen, you're going out to university now, or to school or to college, whatever it was, remember, you are a Van Royen. Act like one. And spiritually it works the same. You are a child of God. Act like one. God has chosen you before the foundation of the world. He put you aside for himself, in other words, he sanctified you, and he loved you as his very own, verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and then he tells them what to do. In other words, act like Christians. You are chosen by God. You are set, a, set apart for God. You are holy. You are beloved. God loves you. So do what he tells you. Get rid of your sin. Take off this Put off your sin like you take off dirty clothes. And put on the clean clothes of obedience. Verse 12. Put on. Put on. What must you put on? Well, the first thing he says is compassionate hearts. It really means that you have compassion right, uh, right into your intestines. You feel it in your stomach. You, you, you can almost feel it when other people suffer. Because you feel sorry for them. And you show them the compassion of Christ. So you don't show them the hand. You don't push them aside. So your sister's child is going for a big operation. And you phone her. You show compassion. You say, how are you doing, my sister? Are you doing all right? You don't look the other way 
when your parents are really struggling financially. You help them. You show compassion. You're not without natural love. No, but you are compassionate. You are merciful. You help. And then in verse 12, we'll say kindness. Kindness, the Greek word there literally means to be useful for good things that other people need. And sometimes what they need is just a hug or a smile or a hand on their shoulder. Then give it to them. Next in verse 12 is humility. So don't think too much of yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. Rather see yourself in the light of who this great God is. And then you see, I'm not as smart as I think. I'm not as great as I think. And you see yourself as a sinner. A sinner, you deserve God's punishment. You deserve the punishment Jesus got on the cross. And then you say, I'm not so important. I'm not so great. I'm not so special. I'm not so wonderful. I'm a sinner. I deserve punishment. And you remember, all that I have, everything I have, it's grace. Christ must increase. I must decrease. I can't boast about anything. All I have is received. I can't even receive one thing unless it's given me from above. And that'll help you to be humble and to put others ahead of yourself, put others above yourself and their interests above yours. And so then there will be unity. There will be unity if there's humility. But if you say, you know, I've done enough for other people now. I think it's time, it's, it's time for me to think of myself and to take care of myself and to spoil myself. Well, if you're going to think that way, then you're going to cause division. So if you're proud, there can't be unity. Proud people, that's where disunity comes. Proverbs 13 verse 10. By insolence comes nothing but strife. There's going to be fighting because you're proud. You show me a divided family, I'll show you a proud family. Everyone just thinks of himself and they don't consider others. If you want to promote unity, you must be humble. And verse 12, meek. Meekness. There must be gentleness. So uh, the Greek word literally here refers to gentle strength. In other words, you don't use your strength to hurt others, but to make them or to lift them up and to help them and to serve them. Use your strength to their advantage. And if you've got a meek person, his whole attitude is one of being calm, just being laid back or chilled, being gentle. And if you're in that person's company, everyone just feels calm. And strife just dies a natural death. And this strife and this fighting will also die if people are patient. End of verse 12. Patience. So the, the Greek word there literally means to be long-tempered. Long-tempered. You are slow to anger, as James 1 verse 19 says. You're not quick to get angry. And God's grace, if you've got this patience, God's grace is enough to give you this patience, to help you, to work this patience in your heart. So you've got these terrorists, uh, three two-year-olds in uh, triplets. <laughs> or you've got a difficult teenager. Or, if you, or you've got a, an unsaved spouse. The grace of God is enough to help you to be patient and to bear, bear with it patiently. And you're patient. The reason you're patient is because you know God is in control. God is sovereign even over these difficult things. And he's left this difficult thing in your life to shape your character and to make you like Jesus. And so you don't become irritated and you don't lose your cool and lose your temper. 
And you don't do that and then you say, oh, you know, I'm sorry about that. It's just my difficult circumstances. No, you don't blame shit. You don't excuse your sin. You take full responsibility. You ask for forgiveness and you trust the Lord to help you to become a patient person. And so you ask the Lord's help so that you'd be able to bear with others and even forgive other people when they sin against you. Just like you and I sin against God daily and He forgives us and He bears with us. Verse 13. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So, so this kind of person is the one, they remember, you know, I've sinned against God much more than people have sinned against me and He's forgiven me. Why can't I forgive other people? I must forgive as He has forgiven me. How many families, how many marriages break up because people simply will not forgive? They won't do verse 13. And so they hold grudges and they're bitter about things that happened 15 years ago and 20 years ago. And in some cases it even makes them sick physically. Proverbs 13, 14 verse 13. Well, verse 13 tells you we must forgive. Forgive as God forgave you. Jesus laid down his life so that the Father could forgive us, so that the Father would not reckon the sin against us. Colossians 1 verse 14. In Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 2 verse 13 and 14. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And will we dare to say, I will not forgive other people after God has forgiven us so much? Now, when, when we say we should forgive others, that doesn't mean you approve of their sin. That doesn't mean you say, oh, it doesn't matter, they can sin as much as they want, I'll just forgive them. It's not what it means. What it does mean is you choose not to hold this against the other person. You don't, you don't remind the person of what he did. You don't remind other people. You don't remind yourself every now and then and become bitter against it. Just like God does with you and me. God doesn't hold it against you. The sin you did, when you repent of it and turn to God, He forgives you. He doesn't hold it against you. He removes you on my sin as far as He removes, as, as the east is removed from the west. He casts it into the deepest ocean. And He says, I will think of their sins no more. Hebrews 10, 17. So may I ask you then, is there someone in your family you must forgive. Is there someone you must go and sit down with and talk to and talk through a matter? Is there someone you need to go to even tonight after this service or tomorrow or in this week, go and see them and you need to ask their forgiveness or give them a phone call and ask their forgiveness? Well then, don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. Do it as quickly as possible so that God can forgive you also. As Jesus said, if you fail to forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. And above all, verse 14, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So above all, don't just say that you love, 
like I've heard men say when they commit adultery, but I love my wife. Or they beat their wives and they say, but I love my wife. No, you don't. Don't just say that you love. Show your love. Show your love through practical deeds. And if everyone does this, families will be united. Love is the, the binding factor. Love, uh, love is the glue that, that binds families together. And it brings unity in it. And it binds all these good qualities we just read of. It binds, it, it binds this. Love is the quality that, that helps us, the things I just read, all the other qualities. So it's not just, oh, I'll just do this because it's my duty. No, you do it from the heart. You love And you don't wait until you feel this emotion of love. No, you pray for this love and you start doing what God tells you in verse 14. You love. And you don't just do it to the people who do it back and repay you. You love that husband who doesn't love you. You love that wife who doesn't respect you. You love that child who's rebellious. You love that brother you can't stand him. You love that family, those in-laws. You love. And you do it in in practical ways, practical deeds of caring, and then trust God for the results. And He will work things out as He pleases. So if you want unity, love. In verse 15, if you want unity, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. So the peace of Jesus Christ must be in your heart and your mind like a whistleblower. Uh, Paul doesn't merely talk here about a feeling of peace that you have inside. Rather, it's talking about peace between you and other people. And so if you're angry in your thoughts, you angry in your heart, or you feel divided with other Christians, then you should... You should see that as, oh, wait, Jesus is blowing the whistle. Saying, ah, 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 that's not allowed. Put away that thought. Stop thinking that thought. Go and, go and make things right with the person you were fighting with yesterday or earlier today. Forgive that person who sinned against you. Confess that sin, that feeling of being irritated with someone. Get rid of it. The whistle is blowing. The peace of Christ must rule in your heart. And you can live it, you can be at peace with others because Jesus died for this. And Jesus has called you to peace. He's called you to be part of the same body with these people. Verse 15. You were called in one body to this peace. He has placed you in this body. So if you want to fight with fellow Christians, that's like, that's like your right hand punching your own eye. You're fighting against yourself. Or it's like your teeth biting your arm. You're part of one body. Verse 15 at the end, you are called into one body. So you're fighting against the members of your own body. You will destroy yourself. And if your family, if they're not Christians, then you're still fighting against your own You're fighting against your own family. How can you fight against your flesh and blood and think it's not going to have a detrimental effect? It's not going to be bad for you. Of course it's going to be bad for you. And I can tell you from personal experience in almost 20 years of ministry now,
There are many people listening to this very sermon tonight. After tonight's sermon, you have to go to God. You have to go to the Lord and make things right. And you have to go to your family and you need to forgive. And you need to confess your sin and ask for forgiveness where you've sinned. And the only thing that's going to prevent you from doing so is pride. Because you don't want to acknowledge that you're wrong. Or maybe fear. Maybe fear. Because you think, yeah, but what if they don't confess this and they were also wrong? What has that got to do with you? God simply tells you that you need to forgive and you need to fix things where you are wrong. And if the other person doesn't want to do the same and they don't want to confess their sin, then God will deal with them. You just do what is right. And if you can't get this right and if you can't sort it out and you talk to them and it just makes things worse, then be humble enough to ask for help. Come to the elders. Come for biblical counseling and say, please help me, we need to sort this out. I can't do it on my own. And then finally, if you want unity, end of verse 15, and be thankful. Verse 17 also, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Be thankful. People who are ungrateful, they are people who complain about everything. They fight about everything. They, they are dissatisfied. They are discontent with everything. They just want something better. They want more. And the reason they do it is because they're proud. They're proud. They're proud. They think they deserve better. Or if they do get good stuff, then they, they don't say thank you because they think, I deserve this. Can you see how our ungratefulness it breaks unity in families? Causes division. Who wants to be around someone who moans and groans and complains all the time and they, they find fault with everything? It's much nicer to spend time with people who are thankful. And, the, and then when they're thankful, you just, you just want to do more for them because they're thankful for the smallest things you do. So if you want to practice being thankful, it has to start in prayer. It'll help where you where you see the little things God does in your life and, and you start thanking the Lord for that daily. And in this way you're practicing. You're practicing, you're getting into the good habit of, of seeing when people do little things for you and you, you're thankful. And where that happens and you do all the other things I preach tonight, there will be unity. It'll be like, like a friend of mine. Him and his wife, they live in unity. The husband and wife, the, the parents and their children, they live in unity. And his wife also, she's got such a good relationship with her mother-in-law that often she calls her mother-in-law, they talk on the phone just to find out, are you doing fine? That's the kind of unity we want. And that's the kind of unity God can give. Let's pray. Father, I especially come this evening for families where there's disunity where they are fighting, where they're divided, where there's bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and maybe even sexual sin. And I pray that there would be repentance and confession and restoration and unity. Answer this prayer, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.